Before we get into today's episode, I've created a short questionnaire that will help me get to know you better. Those that fill out the questionnaire will get entered into a draw to win an Amazon gift card. So there's a link in the description for the episode. Click it, fill out the questionnaire, and I look forward to hearing your feedback. Now for today's episode. This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show and today I'm joined with Ronnie Lieber who's a well-renowned keynote speaker, stadium host and legacy coach. He's had the privilege of entertaining over 5 million people live worldwide and also virtual all around the world. So Ronnie, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you Michael for having me. Now what I would really be interested to know is do you get lines when you do the presenting or do you have any preparation do you have a certain frame of mind that you like to get into how do you prepare for your speeches well in general of course you prepare um as much as you can prepare because sometimes you do not have the option to prepare um everything that you want but uh yeah first of all one thing that i always need to know is what is the outcome? What is the outcome of the of the event that I'm at? What is the outcome of um, also that I want to achieve today? What is the, like what are the the general outcomes from the stakeholders in 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 here? That's number one. And the second thing is who is my audience? Because I need to know who am I talking to in order to provide value. And if I know those two things, then the lines are not as important as as you might think. Um, there is a famous saying in public speaking, which is that. At the end of the day, people are not going to remember what you said. They're not going to remember the words, but they will always remember how you made them feel. And that's the key point. So the key point is actually being you, being real, knowing the outcome, knowing who you're talking to, and just delivering the message in your own words. So is it just about skill and how you pronounce things, how you say things that make people feel a certain thing? Like, is there anything that you can maybe share with us about making people excited versus energized versus calm? Like, is there any certain things that you can share with us? Absolutely. So first of all, um, when we were talking about the outcome, you also, one of the things that I always ask myself is, what is the emotional state that I want to leave my people with, that I want to leave my audience with. Also, what is maybe an action that I want them to take? And of course, also, where are they when we start? Like, where are they coming from? For example, if you're going to speak to them um, at, an, at an event, and that event might be the whole day and you're somewhere in between, what happened before you? What happened the whole day before you? What happens right before you? Are they coming off the lunch break? Are they? Are you the first person in the morning of a two-day event and they were partying until five in the morning? Or like all those kind of things. You need to know that. That's part of your preparation. And then it's about knowing where they're at, taking them by the hand, guiding them on, I would say, like a red carpet, like an emotional carpet to where you want them to go. And... Who do you think is the first person that actually needs to be in that emotional state that you want to get them to? It's yourself. So you yourself need to be in that emotional state. And you need to, like, if you want, there is a famous um, a famous quote from Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, the, um, 
the, the author of The Little Prince. And he was saying, if you want to build a boat, the best way to build a boat is not to teach everybody like how to actually, um, how to build a boat, like how to make it and, and all the, the craftsmanship and so on. The best way to build a boat is you need to teach the people or you need to ignite the fire in the people of the whole of the wide world that they want to explore because then they are with you on a mission. And that's the point. Like you need to ignite the spark and the, the, the spark first needs to be lit inside of yourself in order to ignite it in other people. So have you ever been in a room where share an example of like they've been out all night maybe they're hungover maybe they're still drunk perhaps have you ever been in a, in a situation where you've had to do nearly the impossible like energize people that are half asleep let's say have you ever had to do that oh yes i did um i remember for example once i was called um to a, a conference in germany and they actually there was just three days before the conference they called me hey um could you come we need somebody to activate the audience on day two, because it's going to be a long night on day one and uh, day two in the morning, usually they're going to be, well, half asleep if they're even there. <laughs> yeah, 180 people, big room. And all right, then I went through the same thing. Okay, like, what's your outcome? What do you want to achieve? Also, what do you want to achieve with this session here that I'm going to be with you? And um, who is the audience? And then it was really about activating them and about connecting something about at that time to activate them also emotionally and one of the things also through my background in sports and through my background in stadiums by being for example a stadium announcer stadium host for the austrian national team soccer is one of the things that i did with them um, was i did the laola wave with them in the morning like to activate them and of course it's like People are there, they're tired, they are in their suits. But then uh, on the other hand, well, that's fun. That's cool. We normally never do the low, low wave and, and make some noise and like, okay, let's let's just go with it. And and so that's, uh, and, and be playful with them. Have something in mind, but don't just do it for, uh, well, without any context. You need to give them context. You know, like if you want to do something with them, they're open to do anything if they have context. So it's really about like also why are we doing that? And and then um, let's just do it. Let's go for it. Does that make your job easier then once you know those things? Like if you've ever gone in blind and not been given this information, that can make things so much harder, I imagine. That's really hard. I mean, that's like driving a car being blind. It's, it's really like basically you are driving around and you have no idea where you're going. Or if you're, if you're I mean, imagine just... If you're having a virtual, um, a virtual conversation with somebody, or like you have a, a webinar, or you have maybe um, a, I had that just recently. I had uh, for Continental, a big tire company. I had a virtual panel discussion, and my three panelists were on, and and I was talking with them, and um, well, and and also what happened was that. At some point, there was supposed to be a Q&A from the audience through the chat. I could not see the chat. For whatever reason, um, the, the person who set the whole thing up 
uh, and it was just internal people from Continental, but it's a 200,000 people company worldwide. But I was external. And somehow they did not include me in the chat. And wow. so I was basically there blinded. I was like, all right, um, I have no idea if people are engaging. I have no idea uh, like what they are asking. And I'm actually supposed to incorporate those Q&A things. And I, I don't see the chat. And well, that was um, quite fascinating. But at the end, time we, uh, at the end, we solved it because I, I got resourceful. And I knew that the two organizers were in it as well. And, and then I just asked one of them like live on the panel discussion uh, when we were at the Q&A section to um, if she could go ahead and, 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 and help me out here because I'm not seeing the chat and maybe she can um, ask, like give us some of the questions that are being asked, which worked out beautiful. But it's just like at that moment, it's a bit, you don't know what's going on and you're not in control. I imagine you've had to be in, I guess, a higher state of mind to be confident, composed, but then your ability to let some of that go in a way and be like, I need some help here because I'm not seeing this, I'm not seeing that. And that could be mid-conversation, that could be mid-presentation. And you've had to break away from the professional side of you and become the more human, vulnerable side at the same time, is that you've almost got to dive in and commit to your presentation. But then if there's an issue, if there's a problem, being comfortable enough to say, I need some help here. I can't quite see this, that, and the other thing. Can someone step in and, and help? Is there a state of mind that you get in that combines those two things, where you've got the professionalism, the composed, the confident, and then you're still able to break away a little bit and be a bit human if something were to happen on the spot? Uh, that's a great point, Michael, here. And and first of all, never be ashamed to ask for help. Never. It's totally fine. And it's totally fine. And if I mean, come on. In a tech world, everything happens. And, and even in, in the offline world, anything can happen. Like also at, at an in-person event, you can be there and then so suddenly something breaks, not, breaks down and you're like, all right. Uh, the question is always, how do you handle it? How are you communicating it in, in times of uh, also, I mean, we saw it the last two and a half years, uh, what happened with the pandemic and, and, and all those kind of things that were going on about like, all right, here's the situation. What are we going to do about it? And how quickly can we adapt and how quickly can we be flexible? And also when you're talking about the confidence with an audience, that's a great topic because I was just, I just was talking about this with my wife Um like two or three days ago, that when you are actually talking to an audience, you need to own the room. You need to own yourself first, and then you need to own the room. You need to be in control. How, how is that? Well, think about it this way. Um, do you like animals? I do. do yes. you like, yeah. Do you like dogs? Yeah. What do you do when you when you go uh, and you see a dog that you do not know for the first time, but you're like, oh, he's cute, like, oh, and you would like to touch him? But what do you do normally? Sometimes we ask permission or we talk to the the owner first. Okay, you talk to the owner first, and then uh, the owner says yes, of course. And then and what do you do? Like, what do you do normally? Like, okay, now you have permission to go, uh, or at least the owner gave you permission, but the dog hasn't yet. 
Yeah, so it's normally to make them more comfortable, we tend to move slowly, get down to their level, so to speak. And if they're not happy with it, then you'd, you'd go as far as they're comfortable versus the owner saying, yeah, well, that doesn't mean the, the dog's happy. Exactly. So for example, one thing that I always like to do is like I put my hand to the dog in a way that he, he can smell it or she can smell it. And then if the dog basically like, okay, it's fine. Then I, I take the hand and basically I pet the dog, for example. And the same thing happens when you're in front of an audience. That you, the first thing is that you are going to go on stage. Or you're going to go maybe into a meeting room. And first the other people, maybe they do not know you yet. They're going to absorb uh, or observe who is that person? How is that person? Do I trust that person? There are so many things going on in their heads, in their minds at the time that you are not even aware of. But it's fine. Give them the time. And also, I, when I'm on stage, I love to take a few moments to look at the audience before I start to say a single word, to actually look at them and to get a feel, to get a feel for who they are and also to bring positive emotions towards the audience or to love them, to, to deliver some love to the audience and to really feel who they are at. And also in a way, like because I already prepared myself and I have a kind of a feeling of who they are, but is this feeling being confirmed? Are those really the people that I thought that they are? And to get a feel. And then one more thing, actually, what happens also with animals or with a dog. You inherently, without saying a word, you can show the dog who is in control by being certain of who you are. And if you do that, the dog will follow because the dog will feel that this person is in control, that this person is taking charge. And the same thing applies to an audience. By being there, owning yourself, being confident about who you are, about why you're here, about that there is a reason why you're here. That there is a reason, because oftentimes when, when I have new speakers to work with, they are like, well, I don't even know um, if I'm the, like if I can do that or if I'm the right person. There is always a reason why somebody put you on that stage and not somebody else. And if somebody else believed in you, that's permission enough for you to believe in yourself. Believe in yourself, own yourself in order to own the room. I like how... A lot of the insecurities tend to come up because there's something inside yourself, whether it's someone that wants to be on stage, but they're unsure of themselves. They don't really know who they are in this situation. Sometimes they don't know who they are outside of this situation, never mind inside. And this can have a ripple effect, can't it, where it can lead to so much self-doubt so much lack of security in the situation and you forget what to say because you're too busy worried about what people are thinking or whatever the case is but there must be a way to help these people understand themselves better know more about themselves own themselves as you say is there anything that you can say or an exercise you can take people through to help people understand themselves enough that a stadium full of people, uh, millions of people 
aren't necessarily enough to put a chink in the armor that you've created. Well, a few things about that. Um, whether we're talking in front of 50, uh, 50 people or 50,000 people, it doesn't matter. Because you're never going to talk to 50,000 people at a single time. You're going to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation times 50,000. So it's always about knowing who this person is or who is your, in, in marketing, you would call your avatar. Like who is the, who is the audience? Who, symbol, like who symbolizes the audience for you? And then you just talk to them or you just talk to those people. And if it's 50,000 people, you normally don't really talk um, like and you oftentimes talk through a camera and then you have the, the camera on the screen. Um, but that's that's a whole different conversation. But in, in, uh, talking about the camera and we might go into this a bit later. But in general, it's really about when you are looking at your audience, you look somebody in the eye. Then you look somebody else in the eye. You look somebody else in the eye. And you just have a conversation one-on-one -on -one with that person because you can always focus on one person. You cannot focus on 50 people at the same time, 100 people at the same time. I just had actually um, a coaching, somebody that I was coaching just a few uh, weeks ago, and he used to be um, an, an, a performer in Cirque du Soleil, yeah, like a very, very high state-of-the-art performer. And... He was great in performing. But performance does not always create the emotional connection at the depth that you want. Because you don't want to just perform, you want to be real. And how is that? When I saw him in our rehearsal, he was like looking around as if there is a big room and this and that. And if this is like as if you're performing at the Super Bowl. The point is, he was not going to perform at the Super Bowl. The rehearsal was not for a Super Bowl. The rehearsal was for a way smaller room. And if you are talking to, let's say, 100 people, and you are performing as if you're talking to 100,000 people, you forget to build the connection with the people that are in your room. And if you're not connecting with the people who are in your room, uh, who are in your room, you failed. Because it, it, he was not looking into the eyes of the people when we were rehearsing that. Like he was like looking at the wall or at the ceiling, like as if he, he was going to talk to a big stadium, which makes sense because that's what he knew from, from the Cirque du Soleil or like a circus with the, with the big, um, well, where the audience is up, is up somewhere. But it was different. So you really need to be real and connect. And one more thing, actually about people who are being scared and fearful. Why is somebody scared? Why is somebody scared of talking? The only reason why somebody's scared of talking is, or the only, the only point that is possible is when you are inside of your head, when you are focusing on yourself. When you're focusing on yourself, instead of focusing on somebody else. Because when you're focusing on yourself, then all those thoughts are going through your mind. Like, oh my God, what are they going to think? Or, oh, who is in the audience today? Ooh, oh, this is going to be really critical because this could mean so much for my career, for my life, for my, oh, if I'm not performing good, I might lose my job or, or whatever kind of things are going on. But those are all conversations. First of all, they're not real. 
they are not real. They're just going on in your mind. And that also means as long as those conversations are going on, you're focused on yourself instead of being focused on delivering value, instead of being focused on your audience, instead of being focused on who is in front of you and how can you change their lives. Because if you are focused on changing somebody else's life, if you're focused on delivering value, if you're focused on really making a difference for your audience, it's all going to change because there is no room for having all those self-talk going on when you're focused on the audience. Do your preparation that you know you got this and then just go out and believe in yourself, trust in yourself that you can do it and add value. And you know, if you're like, I don't know if I can add value, at least make sure you leave them in a better state than you pick them off with. Can you do that? I'm guessing most of you would say, I can do that. Would you say you feel fear then if you prepare, if you set things up in the right way, you focus on the people in the audience versus all of the things that are inside yourself? Does that go away or does it just simply help you manage it better when you're in the situations that you're in? That's a good question. I would say that the first, the first thing you really need to know is, once again, it comes back to your outcome. And it comes back to who is the audience and, and, and how can you add value to them? It's not about you. Don't make it about yourself. When you're in front of other people, it's never about you. It's all about them. So if you are there to actually deliver value, to serve them as good as you can, you don't need to worry about anything else. Just serve them as you can right now. And, and think about it this way. I was, um, a few years ago, I was at a Bon Jovi concert. Or um, a few years ago also, I watched um, a Shakira movie uh, with my wife, who's also from Colombia, just like Shakira in the, in the movie theater. So I, I had to go. But it was, also, <laughs> it was also very interesting. And both of them said the same thing. They are there to serve the audience. It's not about them. It's not about what they actually would like to hear or play on that day. It's about what does the audience want to hear? You think Bon Jovi wants to hear every single day living on a prayer? Maybe not. <laughs> no. I don't know. Or, or Shakira wants to hear every day waka waka. I, I'm not sure about that. But the point is, it doesn't matter. Because they know what is expected of them. They know that their audience loves those songs, that their audience wants to hear those songs. And that's why they came there. So it's all about serving them. And even if you're thinking, well, that's easy to say. I don't have, I, I haven't written Living on a Prayer or Waka Waka. It doesn't matter. And even if the audience does not know you before. But there is a reason you're up there. There's a reason why you're talking to them. There's a reason why you're in front of them. And it is to serve. Does it ever feel a bit strange when enough external validation counteracts a lot of your own self insecurities in a way? As in, there's a reason you're up there. 
you've been given the task at hand, the value that you're bringing, and they think ahead of time that you're the right person for it, whether you're the only one or one of many that could be chosen, whatever the case is, you're up there, you've been chosen to go up there, this is your moment, this is your stage, this is your opportunity to bring the most amount of value that you can. Does it not seem a little bit weird that enough of that is enough for someone to not be as self-conscious or lack of self-confidence or fearful? Does that not strike you as a bit strange where you get so much permission and validation from everyone else that's involved with the opportunity that you have, whether it's staff or managers or whatever it is, they've decided that you're the person for the job. Is that enough to really counteract the insecurity or do you think there's something else that the speaker or the performer needs to have at the same time? So if someone says you're amazing, go up there, be the best that you can, well, deep down you think, well, you're not sure, maybe you cut a few corners when you were putting yourself forward for it, whatever the case is, it doesn't necessarily mean that the doubt's changed. Is that is that right? Or do you think there's something else that people need? First of all, I think it's uh, it's a fair point that you're making. And I mean, everybody's going to make it in their own way. And and a selfish, a selfish person is going to make it about themselves up there. And, and um, somebody else who might not be or who might be a very giving person is going to make it a giving, like a giving moment. And so, of course, everybody brings their own personality with them. And if you're in general very doubtful about yourself, about your abilities. It's not going to help on stage. I got to be honest. And and still, um, if you make the switch in your mind to delivering value, that, that oftentimes makes a big difference. Another thing is if you're not like, oh my God, this is such a huge audience. If you're really turning from a hundred people, a thousand people to one-on-one conversations times a hundred times a thousand. It's also a big change in your mind. And um, always have your outcome in mind. That means that you don't need to learn at heart every sentence or you don't need to read. It doesn't. That doesn't matter. Once again, the words are not the most important thing. What, what you need to know is what is your outcome? Where do you want to take them to? Uh, let's say you're a tour guide and you, you bring somebody from A to B to C. Even if you forget something along the way to show them, all right, you know, or afterwards like, oh, I forgot that, but they're not going to know. So also if you forget something of your rehearsed presentation, all right, so so be it. Um doesn't matter move on but what you always have to keep in mind is why am i here like what is the outcome that i want to guide them to and as long as i have this in my mind it's also it's also totally fine to be real to be honest to be vulnerable to be open what i do not mean by that is like going out and and starting with Oh, excuse me. I'm very nervous, and I'm I'm very sorry already. I'm already apologizing up front because I'm I'm really um I'm sorry. I'm just that's just how I am, and this is, I know I suck and it's horrible, but uh yeah, you gotta deal with it now. 
nobody wants to hear that and it's not really going to empower you no. like nobody listen to that your audience wants you to win yes they do want you to win and they're cheering for you because nobody nobody is sitting in the audience and says i hope the next guy really sucks <laughs> nobody says that I hope it's going to be totally boring. Jesus, please let it be so boring. No, nobody says that. Be you. And really, it's fine to be you. It's okay to be you. It's really like, give it, give them you. Because that's what they got now. And talk with them as if you're really, as if you're bringing them, as you were talking with them one-on-one. -on -one. And just think about that. Have you ever had guests at your home? I'm, I'm guessing most of you had. And when you have a guest at your place, normally you want him to have a great time. You want him to feel good. And that's what it's all about. Think about it. You're on stage and those are your guests. They are here and they are now left with you. So to say, but no, it's great because you know how to take care of people. It's just taking care of people. I have to ask, because obviously you're nearing the, the top of your own personal mountain in terms of your presentation skills, your speaking skills, the environments that you've, you've been in. I wonder if you have a, a failure story to share, something that maybe you messed up, maybe you had to recover from some kind of, I don't know, bad thing happening when you were speaking. Do you have anything like that? I'm just curious to see if there's anything that we can pinpoint that'll help humanize you a little bit, Ronnie. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you've done quite a lot with your time. Oh, absolutely. Um, Jesus. So one of the things that I actually, that, that has happened to me and what I think, what I'm not proud of, but that was really not a great thing and a great learning for me was, I remember I had a keynote speech um, a presentation that I was giving for an audience for about 45 minutes and I have not done a great enough job of understanding who they are of who is my audience I thought I did but I didn't really understand them I didn't really understand their needs their desires their outcomes and I sucked in general, like I, I did not deliver what I was supposed to deliver. I, I, um, it was decent maybe, but not really what I wanted to bring. It was not what I, what I also wanted them to experience because I could not connect with them the way that I wanted because I didn't understand who they were. And, and I mean, <sighs> Once again, know the outcome, know your audience. That's like, this is something that is critical. And of course, for me, it was not a pleasant experience, but that's how it is. You you, you uh, pick yourself up and you move on. I mean, uh, I had other, other things like um, when I started out, I did uh, ice hockey. I, I was hosting ice hockey events for nine years. And I remember in my first season, I was um, out there on the ice. And I mean, if you've ever been on ice, uh, it's slippery. 
uh, yeah. especially when it's wet, like when it's really fresh. And I was out there on the ice and I was um, basically showing the audience, several thousand people, um, I was showing them something. Then it was time for me to go back off the ice. And just when I wanted to go back off the ice, there was the ice machine coming, like the the um, the Samboni, the, the machine that makes fresh ice. And um, so I, I made the choice to wait for it to pass because otherwise I would have maybe run, been run over. And I thought that's not the greatest choice. So it uh, passed. And then, of course, there was fresh ice. And the next thing I remember, I was seeing my toes uh, above my eyesight. So um, <laughs> I was like, wow. Uh, oof. And right after that, I remember... A painful experience of of being totally on my ass and being wet and cold all at once and of course because i was just so showing something the whole attention of the audience was all on me and that was not the greatest experience i'm telling you uh and 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 i got myself up and i i i remember i i could hear this this mumbling in the audience like you know like when the when the ground static in a way raises and you know like oh, okay now something is is going on and and um i was just um basically once i got up i, I took the microphone and i just was like thank you and they are like they, it was in a in a fun and humorous way and they're like you're welcome but it was it was really uh, kind of a fun, fun, engaging way, and and I remember I had uh, a radio on in my ear, and 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 uh, the general manager was on it, and and he was like, "Oh, great job, Ronnie! From now on, you do this every time." <laughs> and, and, oh, well, man. I was just thinking, well, I don't think so, but uh, anyway, or I mean, anything can happen. Or what what could happen to you is that you are actually. You're announcing somebody and it's the wrong person that you're announcing or, or the, the wrong team. And I mean, obviously, that has happened to me before. But should it happen? No. And, and is it something that I'm responsible for? Yes. And sometimes things happen. And so it's just about learning from it and, and keep moving forward. Is that the ultimate advice in a way is that your ability to bounce back from setbacks, negativity, failures, for want of a better expression, is that really the key to this? Because things will happen, things will happen you couldn't control, couldn't do anything about, and the only thing that you can really do is learn from it and move on. That might be one of the key learnings in life, in a way. Um, I, I, I can actually tell you a story about that. In 2018, I um, I signed up for to run the New York City Marathon. And I don't know if you ever ran anything or like ran a marathon. Um, maybe some of our listeners have done that. For others, it's like, oh, wow, this is a very long time. Um, it's 42.195 kilometers or in miles, it's 26.2 miles. So it's quite a way. And... And you need to prepare yourself. You need to pre prepare your body. You need to prepare yourself mentally. And I, in, in the beginning of March, I knew that I had my spot to run the marathon in New York City on the 4th of November, 2018. So basically, I had eight months to prepare. 
And eight months is usually a, quite a decent good time to prepare um, in terms of the time period for a marathon. And so in, in the spring of 2018, I, I got myself a running coach and I basically started practicing. So I, I was running and then doing some things and, and, and like to get better, to improve my stamina, my overall condition. And then in August, basically three months out of the marathon, I started to feel some pain. Um, first, it was in my growing area and then it went to my knee. In my growing, I, I ignored it. But then in my knee, I was like, okay, I cannot ignore that. Like it's, uh, I, I can hardly walk. How am I going to run? And so I, I already took a break then in August for a week or so, week and a half, but then, okay, it faded away again. And I, I started again because I needed to prepare. I, I just had three, two and a half months left. And so basically it, the, the pain kept coming back. I took, I, I went a bit less pain went away. I, I, I trained a bit more pain got back. And so every week, more or less, I went to the um, to the orthopedic, and um, the, the the three months leading up to the marathon, I could only run longer than one hour once. So it was very, very. It was not the training that I would have loved to have for a marathon. And I remember three and a half weeks before the marathon, I was at the orthopedic once again, and and he said. You know, Ronnie, the best thing for you right now would be to just do nothing for four to six weeks. Then everything is going to be great. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Uh, just the only thing that the marathon is in three and a half weeks. <laughs> so, um, but I didn't do anything until the marathon. I didn't do anything. And the marathon was in New York and that was a life goal of mine. And And I thought... All right, if this marathon would be, for example, in Vienna, where I'm from, I would say, see you next year. But the, like being in New York, having a life dream in front of you, it's a whole different story. And suddenly I'm like, hmm, well, all right, uh, flights are booked and everything. I, I might as well just go there and see what's, what's, what's going to happen. And then I remember in the morning of the 4th of November, 2018, I'm standing at the starting line in Staten Island, New York, at 10.20 in the morning and thinking to myself, I need to forget everything now that I believe to know about a marathon because it's not going to be like that. I need to be, I just need to be now in the moment and just see what's coming without limitations, without um, pressure, without expectations. Just feel my body and see where we're going. And I didn't warm up because I thought, I'm not going to waste an ounce of energy on, on, on warming up if I have now 42 kilometers or 26 miles to warm up. I mean, uh, what what for? I can just do it while I'm running. And so uh, start, like this, the starting shot over the speakers, it plays Frank Sinatra with New York, New York. And, and you're just running um, over the bridge from Staten Island to Brooklyn. And I'm running and running. And then the first 10K, um, I, was, I wasn't fast, but I was still, I was like, okay, I'm moving. I'm moving in the right direction. 
at, at 10K, my, my wife was there and she was like, um, how are you feeling? And I said, no, it's, it's fine. I'm good. And what I did not know at the time that just one kilometer later at, at 11K, uh, like basically maybe um, 11K, that's like seven miles. Uh, I started to feel that my muscles in my legs are getting hard. And I thought, oh, wow, that's maybe a bit early. I'm just like a quarter in, into the marathon. Like, hmm. Another uh, mile later, another two kilometers later, uh, that hardened muscles turned into pain. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm just a third of them in the marathon and, and I already feel pain. That's a bit early, actually. And at the same time, I thought, all right. The pain is just in my mind. Let's just see what's going to happen. Let's just keep moving forward. And so I kept moving forward and the pain didn't go away. It actually, well, as you can imagine, it got more. But that's how it oftentimes is in life. That you do something and, and maybe you're not prepared as you want it to be. And then there might be some pain and you have the option either to quit or to keep going. And so I, I just kept going. And then there was the the bridge from Brooklyn to Queens in New York. And on that bridge is the half marathon point. And at that point, after 13 miles, after 21 kilometers, I finally took the decision, I'm going to finish today. I'm going to finish. If, if nothing breaks or whatever, I'm going to finish because the pain is just in my head. And so I just kept moving forward. And I was saying to myself, as long as I keep moving forward, I will eventually get there. And so I kept running and running and running. And, and I remember I, I was at like three quarters of the marathon done. I was in Brooklyn, uh, in the Bronx. Sorry, I was in the Bronx. And and and, um, and suddenly I was looking at my at my watch. And I had like a Garmin um, watch, who, which takes the time and everything. Every runner will know what I'm talking about. And suddenly it said there, session ended. And I'm like, <laughs> what, what, what the hell? Like, what do you mean with session ended? I'm not done yet. I'm, I, I still have 11 kilometers to go. Like, I, And I wanted to have the whole session in one thing here. And I mean, I was done, but still, um, I was like, no, no way. And, and so I started again to watch. And so I could see that the last, the last 11 kilometers, I took two hours. Two hours. That's five and a half kilometers per yeah. per hour. Mm -hmm. I can walk faster than that. I can walk faster, than that, but I was like, really, I was totally, I was totally like um, toast. And and then running up Fifth Avenue in New York in Manhattan, um, there were fifteen blocks running uphill. It was like at thirty-seven k, like with five k left. Um, <laughs> That was really, really tough. And, and I could see that my body is really going to its limits. I, I, um, I could feel that I got that, that my body was getting warm. I had some fever coming up. I was crying from time to time because I was overwhelmed with everything, with all my feelings, with, with everything that was going on. But at the same time, I was saying to myself over and over again, as long as I keep moving forward, I will eventually get there. And then... After six hours, 14 minutes, 58 seconds, 
I finally crossed the finishing line in Central Park, Manhattan. And I was just overwhelmed and like, wow, because I knew as long as I keep moving forward, I will eventually get there. And what is true at the New York City Marathon is so true as well in life. I wonder what your recovery was like staying on the topic of bouncing back from from negativity and and downfall and things like that what was your recovery like (laughs) well uh if i would tell you the next day i was completely fine and my body was awesome i would be lying um so i i can tell you that the marathon was on a sunday it's marathons are usually on a sunday Wednesday was the first day that I could stand up from a chair again without using my arms. So um, it was, it was, I could feel every muscle. I could feel every muscle inside myself. It was really um, painful and it was worth it. It was so worth it. I can tell you, I was so amazed. And also my wife, actually, she, she knew what I went through before that. And she was like, you know, I never told you, but I, I did not believe that you could do it. I did not think that you could do that. Wow. And and but it was just uh it was just amazing. And also the gratifying effect for yourself that you have by not only finishing, but by mastering yourself, by showing yourself and your body and your mind. Who is in command? And that was the most amazing thing about it. Did it change you then by finishing the marathon? Did you notice any changes in yourself personally, whether it be character, personality, maybe your ability to say yes to things where you would otherwise say no? What happened after that? I think the biggest thing is also with the story that I just told you that I real that I realized that many things like the at the marathon were like it was in life oftentimes that sometimes things take a little longer than you expected them to take or than you would have wished them to take but at the same time it is so true when you know where you're going when we when you know your outcome as long as you do not quit as long as you keep moving forward, as long as you keep moving into the direction of your goal, you will eventually get there. It's unless you quit or you change the direction. But otherwise, you will get there. It's inevitable. And just that thought process, that process or that that thought in my mind, that changed a lot for me because it changed a lot in, in, in the way that I approached life and also about that it really pays off to stick in there it really like if you know why you're doing it if you know that this is something that's worth it that you really want to do do it even if it takes longer than you expected it to do there's definitely a lot of value in overcoming tough situations or doing difficult things and One of the things that keeps coming back is you're better because of it, no matter how difficult or tough it was at the time. And I think so many people tend to avoid 
those situations because they're difficult or because lack of preparation in some ways a lot of it is due to lack of preparation and as we've spoken about today is if you can prepare and you know your outcome and you know your audience and you know what it is that you're making them feel or making them do that can make everything so much easier and so much more focused and so much more aligned to the outcomes that you or the company or the the staff or managers are, are wanting it makes me think if things changed when the pandemic hit and a lot of things went to virtual because you probably got into a bit of a, a rhythm with the speaking with the presenting you were probably doing really well before the pandemic and then everything suddenly became virtual then yet you still seem to be doing both you seem to be doing live and virtual as well did you take any of it from live to virtual and what was your experience like trying to do the virtual speaking and presenting when you were doing offline first well um yes absolutely you're right that many things have changed when um when the pandemic hit and, and basically i mean i had like 99% of my business was in events and and there was no event business and suddenly it was like all right how are you gonna change that or, or what are you gonna do about it and of course one of the things that was really incredible how the virtual events developed in 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 a, a lot faster space than you would have ever thought possible and also that you could create virtual events that feel like events and that was huge and mind-blowing and, and and also something that i didn't think was possible um for example if and i'm sure some of our listeners are familiar with tony robbins and and i'm also i'm also uh, a trainer for tony robbins so i, I work with him from time to time and and um before at live events and now at virtual events uh, or hybrid now as we've had it and it is really fascinating to see how suddenly we had more than 30,000 people from all over the world, from all different time zones, being live at the same event from their homes and, and really having it feel like an event that was really cool with production, with all kinds of things, like with, with music, with, with having this feeling of commonality. And, and that was amazing. And, and I mean, uh, that's really, really amazing. Also, when you are doing something, when you are giving a virtual experience to somebody, may it be a webinar, may it be a Zoom meeting, may it be uh, whatever it is, there are several factors that you that you need to also treat it like. For example, I was hosting um, for Canon, the camera company, um, the kickoff, but virtually for uh, the, the yearly kickoff. And for Europe, Canon Europe, uh, Canon Europe, and the interesting thing was that initially when we got in contact, they were like, "Yeah, this is um, like basically they want to have an event," and then they called it meeting. And I said, "The first thing we need to do is we need to change the wording around it. It's, that it's not a meeting, because then they are Im immediately going to think this is like a Zoom meeting or this is like a." Yeah, um, like a team meeting or teams meeting, whatever, where you just 
are in it and and basically everybody has their camera off and everybody's there uh, basically in their underwear or or in their pajamas and and um yeah doing something else in between we need to call it event because it, it's gonna feel like it but you need to you, need, you also need to treat it as one and just because you are virtually does not mean that you are gonna be um that it's just gonna be something very small and and of course you're gonna address the people differently you're gonna really have to look to a camera and, and for many people this might need some change in in thinking and also in in how to do that because we all used to talking with with real people we all used to even if we're not used in to, to talking in front of an audience we all used to talk with somebody one-on-one -on -one. this is just normal i mean this is how we grew up this is what everybody knows and when you're and and once again in a in a not virtual environment you have your audience in front of you and also you can connect with them one-on-one -on -one. and in virtual sometimes you don't even see them and even if you do see them the way to connect with them is through the camera lens what does it mean so for example if you have a, la a laptop many laptops have that on top of the screen or an external camera oftentimes it's on top of the screen and in order to connect with them the best way possible, you need to actually look into the lens, not look at the screen, not look at the other people, not look at like, oh, how are, like, how are they reacting? Or what's even, what's even worse is that oftentimes many of us are like, how do I look? And they're not even looking at the people. They're looking at themselves in the little, in the little <laughs> window. Yeah. And so it's really about to really address them, to look into the camera, into the lens. And, and then also, of course, to, to when you're using a microphone um, or when you're using your voice, oftentimes when you're in a virtual environment, you are alone in a room. So if you're alone in a room, then it might feel to some of us like some kind of self-talk. And when we are talking to ourselves, we're not projecting the voice the same way as we are projecting the voice when we're talking with somebody else, when we have a conversation. You need to project your voice, even though even though the, the microphone might be just like a few um, inches or centimeters in front of your mouth. It doesn't matter. You need to project your voice as if you're talking in real, to a real room, or like as if you're talking to the end of the room where you're at. And, of course, also one of the things that you need to pay attention to is what about the light? Because, uh, I mean, many of us, or we have all grown in terms of our expertise in, 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 in the online world. And, and, and I would say all of us have had a lot of meetings online in the last years. And especially in the beginning, I'm sure that... that that might sound familiar to most of you that you were in a, in a meeting uh, virtually and suddenly you saw the other person and you saw some incredible background. Maybe you saw um, like the ocean or you saw some mountains or you saw some amazing window in the back and, and it was an incredible view. But you could not see the person in front of you because everything was dark. It looked like somebody out of a witness protection program or it looked like that person might actually make an offer that you cannot refuse. But um, but you did not actually see anything of the person. So you really, and you do not want to be that person. You need to have the light in your face, not behind you. 
if you have light behind you, you need to still have light on your face. And otherwise, just turn around and, and have the window in front of you that you can actually use the natural light on your face. Yes, the background is not going to be as beautiful. That is true. Um, but you can still use a virtual background if if you do not have anything in the background that you can actually or that you want to show. So that's one of the things that I um, that I did and also how I changed in the virtual world. And, and another thing was that I went on TV. On the topic of TV as well, I know that you're you're also a presenter as well. So you you interview people, you do the presenting thing, um, similar to what I'm doing now. And I wonder if you could shed a bit of light into the TV world for those that maybe they want to be on TV, maybe they want to get involved with the industry. What's it really like? How do people pick their guests? How do programs actually run? That's a great question. Um, I was on TV for more than 1500 hours live. I had almost 800 interviews live on TV. And so with many, many different guests, it might be live in the studio, it might be uh, via Skype or virtual call, or it might be just on the phone. And in general, what is important? First of all, what is important for a guest on TV? The most important thing is that this person can talk in a way that engages the audience. So basically, that, and what I mean by that is engages emotionally the audience. Because what is the outcome of the TV station? The outcome of the TV station is that people stay engaged, that people do not turn off or do not switch to another channel. They want to keep them there. So when you're telling something, you need to also understand who is the audience who's watching at home and how can I engage them? And one of the great things to engage them is through stories. And there might be some people, for example, I mean, I was on TV also through the pandemic, and um, some people were just great and complaining, uh, like, uh, like for example, we had a uh, we had somebody who is um, a restaurant owner, and who came by every um, almost every week at times. So always when there were news about how the restaurant um, business has changed now, because there were some new um, substitutions or there were some new um, legal things now, how you can run your restaurant. And always, it, do, it actually didn't matter. I just, for example, that guy, he always came, like we called him because we knew that he was going to come. And at the same time, um, we called him because when he comes, he, he always was complaining. Oh, this is not good. Oh, this is not going right. And this, and then he was, but not just that he was complaining. He was also giving stories. He was like, you know, and this happened or recently this happened. So he kept it real and it was something where people could connect with. Am I telling you now that you should go out there and complain? No, of course not, because it depends on what is your topic. So um, the question also is, how is this relatable? I had an interview with a, with a woman um, and she brought out a, um, a new book about, um, about dieting, another diet book. And it was, um, but it was, it was fun, actually. It was a fun interview. And at the same time, she, um, she could tell some stories. She could tell some stories. Also, um, what is always great, if you can give the, the person on TV already, like some, some structured questions or like, ask me this or ask me that, because they're going to be grateful for that. They're going to be grateful for 
for questions that you already give them or present to them that might be um that might be but not just questions like oh yeah or ask me where can you buy this no 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 but also like some things that are relevant for the audience of course it's like some questions that the audience might have and because you know your topic a lot better than the person who's interviewing you like be in mind of that and how do you actually get there there's a saying it's called dig your well before you're thirsty so you, you should start establishing connections with local media that might be TV, that might be um, written press, that might be podcasters, it might be radio station, just to like to see, okay, um, to build a relationship with reporters or with, with um, journalists, with people who are in charge. And then when there is a topic that has something to do with your topic or where you can add something to it, because what's always important is, of course, that there is something newsworthy, that there is something that is relevant in the moment. Like, why, why should we bring this story now? What is, why is this relevant? So you need to be kind of a detective of, of finding out what is relevant about your story and how can you tell your story in a way that actually creates some relevance to this current moment. And then you can, the moment that something is, is relevant, um, we call this newsjacking. Like the, the moment that something comes out that is kind of relevant to your story, you can immediately, if, if you have, for example, an email list, or you can immediately mail them or, or, or send them a text message or call them like, hey, I can say something to the story. Or like, hey, I can, I can provide value to that. <clears throat> and oftentimes they're going to be very thankful to have somebody because they're looking for guests. As soon as there is a big story coming out there, I, I can tell you their job is to find guests to find guests who can talk to this topic, who can share some insights. And if you have a, a, a general topic or a topic that can relate to many things and you're doing great, then you might become a regular or they might call you on a regular basis because you are relatable. You are you're saying something that might also be provocative. Dare to be provocative because if you're just going out there to say what everybody knows, who cares? Yeah, it's like, no, but say, like, go out there and say something, dare to say something that nobody else does. And say something that's real, that people feel, not just make something up, but really feel like where people say, oh, yeah, that's it. He's right. Or that's right. It gets a bit weird when you bring up relevancy and the reason why i say that is because that changes all the time doesn't it so media outlets are always looking for relevance in the moment this is the thing that's important this is the thing that needs to be said and it gets a bit strange when i get a couple of people saying to me that they're having a hard time pitching themselves to the media or they're having a hard time getting slots on on tv and things like that and one of the things that i keep coming back to is it's about trying to link it to something that's trending or something that's already in the news or already on on tv and you basically have your your take on it or share parts of your story that's linked to it and i think some people think it's a bit too inauthentic in a way because they try they're having to try too hard in their own words they're trying to try too hard to get in they're having to force the issue a little bit when 
there are people that are assuming, of course, that they just get in on their own steam. It's all like above board, so to speak. They've not had to force it. They've not had to do anything, say anything, pay to play. It all seems like, because they don't know what really goes on behind the scenes, that they think it's all natural, that it's all above board, that it's all okay, that it's all normal and it all just goes on and it's all fine and there's no issues there's no concerns there's no getting in paying the right people knowing the right people and I think some people may come across as almost naive as to how things actually work and we need to almost arm these people because I think a big part of it is why they're struggling whether it's mentally physically whatever it is it's having a negative impact when no one understands whether they've paid to be on the show, whether they know the producer, whatever the case is, how they actually got the exposure, the media, the opportunities that they've gotten, is painting a, a bleak picture for people that are struggling because they don't realise that, you know what, we've paid for this, but it was great, we enjoyed it, had an amazing time, the topic was also important, it was topical, it made sense overall, but it did cost me financially to to do this. I think more people need to start sharing that, but then also it almost negates the whole thing if they've had to do that and they didn't get in just off on their own merit. So why do you think people struggle so much with things like this mentally? Because they don't know what worked. They don't really know what's it actually takes to do it they just kind of struggle and suffer and so there's no real way of getting back from that so first of all two things to what you were saying right now um the first thing is that in terms of relevancy there are certain things that are just breaking right now like something that is just that you cannot foresee yeah, that you that you didn't know that was going to happen but at the other hand, there are always events happening where you do know they're going to happen. You do know that there is a soccer World Cup going on. You did know that already some months ago. You do know that there's going to be a Super Bowl. You do know that there's going to be a presidential election. You do know that there's going to be, like, you do know some things. You do know there's, there's going to be Christmas. There's going to be Valentine's Day, whatever it is. You do know that those things are coming up. So it's not a surprise. Oh, my God, it's Valentine's Day again. Who would have thought? <laughs> no, it's it's like you know that this is, and 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 also when it comes to the relevancy, it's it's um, <laughs> yeah, the thing with the Valentine's Day. Sometimes I believe that some men really are are like, oh, I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> but but anyway, um, going back, that comes every year. Um, well, uh, at the same time, when you are struggling with that, when you are struggling to actually to get yourself up to speed get help get somebody to structure your your stories get somebody because also when it comes to stories it's an art of telling a story telling something that is relevant and you also need to know what time frame do i have and how like even for example if they say well we only have five minutes and you well i brought a story that is 10 minutes no, you need to, to to know how to tell your story in a relevant way, also when it is shorter. And so that's 
um, give examples to that and also get somebody to help you with that. It can be a PR agent that already has um, that already has the the um, that already has to the the contacts to to relevant media station. Um, if you want to get better at public speaking, then then get somebody to help you there or or contact me. If you want to, um, if you really want to make progress in those kind of things, you need to have practice too. And and one of the easy or one of the easier ways to get on than than um, television at the beginning is, for example, get on podcasts. Get on podcasts. Look it, into what are relevant podcasts um, in your area, in your niche, or that you're listening to, and see if you maybe can be there as a guest and also when you are there as a guest think about some relevant topics that you can add something that you that adds value that adds value but not only to you but to the podcaster and to their audience because it's a great way for you to get practice as well it can be so hard to navigate can't it because a lot of the media is essentially just like really excited to share this interview so grateful for the opportunity that sort of thing which is is right i mean it's amazing some of the the conversations that you can have with interviewers and media outlets and the amount of help and value that you can bring is so much bigger than if you were on your own and i guess that's why people do it it's trying to help more people bringing value to their lives in a more meaningful way than they could do just on their own and i found that for certain people anyway, it's worth the investment, it's worth the time, it's worth the money, it's worth the energy that they're putting in because the mission matters, because what they're spreading, the message that they're trying to get out there is worth it. It's important, it matters. And I think that's but it's, where it's not it's not just the mission, it's not just the mission that matters. It's also how can I recuperate my investment on the back end? Like how can I by spreading the mission? What is the business model behind it, for example? What is it behind it? How how can I get how can I turn those new leads into business? So that's also a thought that you need to have at, at, at the same time. Because then it's scalable. It is. And also as well, like nothing's really free per se. There's always something that needs to be able to run it. If everything was not for profit, I mean, I've often played the the thought experiment of if there was no such thing as money, then everything would probably be okay. Um, you know, if everything was free, then everyone would have everything and balance out and we'd probably all share a lot more. But then it's very hard to put a value on something if there's nothing tied to it monetarily, because that's how we've done that as a, a species, is we've attached money to it to assign it a value and all of those things. But it can be so hard for people to realize that it costs to do this, whether it's time, money, energy, whatever the resource is, it costs to do it. And if you can't pay the cost, if you can't give the cost, then it can't be sustainable. It can't be done consistently. And then it all diminishes as well. And the amount of people that you can help will reduce the amount of value that you're actually bringing to the world is diminished because you can't pay the, the cost. You can't give the investment to it and a lot of people can struggle with that because again they just seem to think that it should be almost like they should be able to do it it's almost like a version of entitlement where they feel compelled to do it 
and yet the industry is set up against them. And I don't think it's set up against them. I think that in order to impact the most number of people, it's not going to do that without any effort at all, without anything going into the system. You can't put nothing in and expect to get nothing out. That's kind of my my view on it. What, what What's yours to the whole media landscape? My take on the whole media landscape is don't believe everything you're seeing. Um, the media landscape is not about giving you the truth. It's not about that. It's It's a business. And it's about keeping you there. It's about keeping you engaged. It's about entertaining you. It's about whatever it is. Depend. I mean, every every um, TV station or media outlet might have the different uh, ways of doing that. But it's just about the numbers usually. It's about hey, um, getting you there. It's that doesn't mean that there is going to be no idealism behind it. That there is going to be no. Um, value add to it i'm not saying that but it's not about giving you the truth it is really about engaging you and keeping you on the media as long as possible i think that can add some good things and bad things as well the the good things is is that they are then able to put that into something that matters now i'd argue not many actually do that um they can put the investment into where they see fit and some people it's in good things others it's in less good things and i just wonder if we need to start spreading things in a more positive way like if someone holds the monopoly on attention there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that there's a lot of not just the truth but if they're dedicating their time their effort their energy to consuming the thing that they're consuming it needs to be of a higher quality it needs to actually add to their life as opposed to take it away and i think there are too many that don't necessarily do a lot with the responsibility that they have is that something that you would agree with that they're a bit cavalier with the attention and the responsibility of having the attention and the eyeballs on their their content Obviously, you're going to have um, there. Every media outlet has their own responsibility, and everybody has to decide for themselves how they deal with that responsibility. And but just as every single person needs to decide for themselves how they are communicating with somebody else, and it starts within you. It starts within everyday conversations that you have, and of course, um, when you take a media outlet, this is um, scaled. To a different level yeah i think the, the the scalability is definitely the uh, the dividing line isn't it because you're not just having one-to-one conversations even though when you're speaking that's what you advise that that people do you are still influencing a lot of people's decisions and a lot of how people feel and i think it can be very very impactful and one of the reasons why i i started this this podcast myself was to be the the positive influence it was to influence people in a positive way not just give news or not just give what's trending or whatever the case is but to as you say leave people feeling better than before they started and um, i'm very grateful that you took the time to to be a guest ronnie it's been great i've enjoyed having you on for those that want to enter your world a little bit maybe speak to you get to know you a bit better figure out Maybe if they wanted to hire you for anything, where can people find out more about you? 
Well, um, you can find more about me on ronnielieber.com on my website. Also, uh, you can just write me a message there or, or like send me an email. Um, at the same time, there are also blog posts there about several topics that we touched today, also about how to improve in terms of speaking in front of others, for example, how to find your passion, all, all different kinds of things. And at the same time, also on social media on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, just slash Ronnie Lieber. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. Ronnie, it's been great. I've enjoyed having you on, and I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you very much, Michael, and thank you also to all of you who have listened to us. It's been a pleasure, and I cannot wait to hear what golden nuggets you got out of today. All the best. Have a great day.